Hey there, it's Tanya Adlita, the host of Recovering Church Girls. This is episode 45, and today we're going to have a conversation with Haley Hunter Hines. I know you are going to love her. She has such a beautiful soul, and I'm so grateful that she's sharing that with us. One of the things I think that we get to dive into pretty quickly that can make such a difference in our lives is this concept of permission. I don't know about you, but most of my childhood into probably most of my adulthood was often asking someone else for permission instead of claiming it and giving it to myself. So that's something I want to point out to you in our conversation. I think it'll be a huge value. And secondly, I want to apologize for the sound quality. It's not terrible, but we were working with some difficult situations in terms of, you know, the Atlantic Ocean and spotty internet and that type of a thing. So just so you know, yes, unfortunately, we are aware that it was not as good as we would have liked it to be, but the content itself totally made it worth it. And as a recovering perfectionist, for me to say that, you know, it's got to be good. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to Recovering Church Girls. This is your host, Tanya, and I have with me Haley Hines. Hi, Haley. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have this conversation because we already had this one once, but unfortunately, the audio and the internet connection did not agree with us, so I know what I've got to look forward to, and I can't (laughs) wait for the rest of our listeners to be able to join in this time, too. (laughs) Love technology, right? So Oh, my goodness. Yes, always, always. So with that being said, I think one of the things that I would love to start off with, well, first of all, you're the founder of Soul Sparkle Living, and I love, love everything that you are doing with this. We were just talking before we started recording uh, about my desire to join in on one of your culinary adventures. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you got to be in the place of creating a life that you have designed and being able to step into that in a, you know, kind of a full embodiment way, but also where you started from, because this idea of recovering church girls is something that if memory serves, you really resonate with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think of my life, um, and this may also resonate with a lot of the listeners, you know, we're taught to, to do things a certain way and, and follow the rules and do the right thing and, and, kind of people please really, you know, like make everyone else happy. And so, you know, I, I, for a lot of my life, that was kind of, I married the right person. I did the right things. I had the right job, like checked all these boxes of what I was supposed to do. And I finally realized um, that, you know, no one has to sleep in my bed and walk in my shoes and I'm the boss of me and I'm just done doing things for other people. And I really was just ready to to make my own, my own deepest, deepest desires of my heart come true, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just gave myself permission to step out of what the normal paradigm of, a, of the traditional way you're supposed to do life um, is, and it has been absolutely extraordinary. And it's been a more, uh, more beautiful and amazing and magical than I ever dreamed it would be. But it was just started with giving myself permission to do my life differently. That was the huge turning point for me. 
I can imagine. So let me ask you the idea of giving yourself permission. I feel like that's something, as you mentioned, it's so incredibly pivotal. And for those of us who grew up in organized religion and the cultures within that, it's a very difficult thing to do. Did you have a, a moment where, you know, it was just kind of like, here's the decision, the line has been crossed, or was it a series of steps that built up your give yourself permission ability? How did you get to that point? Well, I do think it's a, a little bit of a muscle, right? So the more you kind of work with it, the the stronger you get. And when you when you do it in the little things, you you're much more likely than when something big comes up that's really significant to be able to to do it as well. You know, it's interesting that we're having the conversation on this day because um, I think it was six years ago today, the 19th of May, when we're recording this, um, there was a huge tornado that came through my hometown in Oklahoma City, where I'm from. And, you know, I, I had a fancy corporate job and I had all the things that you're supposed to want, right, for your successful life. And, um, you know, I watched on TV people pulling their children out of the rubble that of schools that had been destroyed. And, and that was really a moment for me to say, what am I waiting for? Like, mm. why am I not doing the life that I've been dreaming of? I mean, I'd had this vision for what I now call soul sparkle living the concept, um, for, for decades, you know, I want to travel, speak and teach, travel the world and, and create beautiful experiences for women around the world. But I, it almost like took that pivotal moment for me to say, now's the time. Now's the time. Because we're not guaranteed, you know, 10, 20 more years, right? I, I don't want right. to wait till I retire to right. start <laughs> my beautiful, magical life, you know? So I think it was a hybrid of, of these small decisions over time. And then this one, just like, I'm doing it. And three days later, I quit that fancy job and started my Operation Gypsy was what I called it then. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, just kind of let it unfold from there. So oh, I love that. And I love the idea of paying attention to it as a muscle, that there's a way to, you know, kind of start. And it, it doesn't have to be that idea of the instant jump to get out of the corporate job or get out of the marriage or get out of the country, you know, whatever it could be. And it, it could very well be that your destiny incorporates all three of those big life altering decisions, but it doesn't necessarily have to. And I think that oftentimes people can get locked in that idea. It's still comparison. It's still living a life according to what someone else has decreed as the way to do it. So whether you're doing it in the corporate job or you're doing it in the, you know, gypsy entrepreneur work from anywhere type of idea, there's still this piece of following someone else's game plan instead of really tuning into yourself and finding out what you need and want in this moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, society has created this, this approved social structure and construct, right? Of you, you grow up to college, you get married, you buy the house, you have the kids, you do the things like there is a very clear path that is the, you know, what I would consider the approved expected life plan. And if you don't fit that plan, you know, there can be a lot of judgment and a lot of, um, you know, pushback, if you will. And, you know, for me, I just finally got to the point where I just stopped caring what other people thought and started doing only what was in the highest and best for me. Mm -hmm. Highest and best for me. 
and trusting that whatever was in the highest and best for me would create the highest and best for all that were around me and surround me, you know? And I think for a lot of us, we don't, we don't allow ourselves to truly do the things in the way I speak. It's the things that make our soul sparkle, the things that light us up from the inside out. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to, to really dream those big dreams. And so, um, everything shifted for me when I started to, to think about, well, what else is possible? What else is possible? Maybe I can do this long-term. Maybe I can create this life is just this beautiful vision I've had in my mind, you know? And so, um, it's exciting when you, when you step into that, I call it the magic carpet ride. When you step <laughs> on the carpet and just start allowing the magic to unfold, it's really beautiful. I love that. And I love your specific use of the word allow, because I think that that, again, is another pivotal point of not trying to micromanage the process, because for those of us who all had that trajectory, that we were living life according to the rules, we were checking off all the boxes, we were doing everything that we were supposed to do, there is not a whole lot of allowing in that, but there is an awful lot of striving and it's the goal setting and it's the working yourself to the bone and, you know, all of these different things that come by way of that way of being. And when you choose differently, you also have to find a new way of being and allowing for me has been a big piece of that. And for the control freak, it's been a pretty interesting adventure to, to get to the point where I really can set the intention of something that I want to create or experience and move forward in an easing way, in an ease and a grace and a flow that just hasn't existed for me you know, in that trajectory of check the boxes, do the things. Right. Well, I just think it's a, like you said, it's a whole different way of doing life. It's a whole different approach, you know? And I think for most of my life, I did the same thing. Like I would set goals in six different categories and da, 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 right. And like, check, check, check. And what I realized is that those were, those were external Mm. goals, external motivators that once I got there, made them that amount of money or did that thing or whatever, I still didn't feel the way I wanted to feel. Mm. you know and so now with this way like you said just I follow the highest excitement what feels ease what's grace like what is that feeling of expansion in my body and trusting that so much that that's literally how I I mean every single day I just check in am am I exactly where I'm supposed to be today like yesterday I was supposed to have a flight back to New York I didn't take it and I'm still here in Dallas one more week because that just was what felt easy for me you know instead of like go 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 yeah I love that and I I love this idea of checking in and allowing our body to give us the signs that we need and being closely enough connected connected closely enough however that proper way to say that is but just this idea of you know having a trust and a relationship established with our body again um because i think that one of the things i've seen over and over again both in my own experience and in all of the research with recovering church girls is there is a separation of us from ourselves and that includes how we interact with our body how we read the signs that our body is trying to give us whether we're actually listening to ourselves or if we're suppressing it even further again to try and fit this mold and to try and play into the conformity that is so highly valued. But for me, that was a big piece of the puzzle of reconnecting physically with myself in order to 
strengthen that intuition all over again because I certainly had lost it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think we're trained from a young age to be like flesh, the, mm-hmm. you know, your flesh is, is bad. Your flesh is of the world and all these, you know, messages that you're like, okay, first of all, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like right. <laughs> you know, humans, we are divine beings in human form. Like that's, that's the truth, right? We are, we are equal divinity and humanity. And so I think we're given these bodies to to be able to hold our beautiful soul, right? Mm-hmm. And then to guide us. And so I, I totally agree that um, there was a lot of work for me to reintegrate the, my humanity with the divinity mm-hmm. and allow myself to be, to use it as a tool, right? To show me what's right and what's not and what feels right for me and what feels spacious. You know, I, I use this one tool in my teaching that's like, if it feels like a deep exhale and expansive, then that's a yes. And that's, that's the direction you should go. And if, if you feel heavy and it feels constrictive and you're contracting, then that's, that's not the right, that's not the right decision or not the right choice. And that's just one simple example of how we can use our body to help us navigate through life. Like you said, with as much ease and grace as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that, I, I love the fact that you mentioned that we've been trained to believe otherwise. We've been told both implicitly and explicitly this idea that we can't trust ourselves, whether that's the way that we think or the way that we believe or how we physically feel, that none of those things are to be trusted in order to, again, people please and fit the mold and, you know, all the rest of it to be the good Christian girl. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit further. I would love for you to share your own experience as growing up in the church and what that meant for you. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how you were able to reconcile some of these things that we're talking about now, how did that come to be when we both grew up in such that, you know, uniform way of being? Yeah. So I grew up, um, so my grandparents started the Southern Baptist church in the town that I grew up in. So uh, we were there all the time, right? So (laughs) Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, supper and things and all the things and all the activities. Um, and that was just the way, you know, life was, um, for a long time. And then I think once I got married, so I did all the things, you know, how you said you do all the things, right? Like didn't have sex before I got married, didn't do this, didn't live together. And I now say, like if I had lived with my ex-husband for like five hot seconds before I married him, <laughs> I never would have married him, right? Like it just, none of that really served me. A lot of those rules kind of things. Right. Um, like, you know, in my life, I, I did all those right things. I checked all those boxes and I ended up in a incredibly emotionally abusive marriage for seven years mm. with a very biblical religious man. And I, I really had a, transformation I think during that experience because I was like hang on if you are the epitome of godly and you love Jesus and you are the biggest asshole and jerk and and horrible human in a lot of ways now he was great in a lot of ways but for me to me he wasn't great like outside he was great so no, no one really knew and and I just remember thinking I'm not available for this. Like, this is not what I'm interested in as it, as it relates to if God is this and religion is this, then I just don't, I don't agree with this anymore. 
Mm. You're the most judgmental, legalistic. Like there was no love. There was right. no love for the people, right? Just a lot of judgment, guilt, and shame, which unfortunately I think is what a lot of people experience when they're in in the the paradigm in the box of a religious situation. So once I stepped out of that, there was a lot of guilt around getting divorced. Like that was a horrible oh, of course. thing to do. Yeah. But I just needed to rebuild and really turn myself on a, on a journey, a spiritual journey. And it took me out of, um, you know, out of what I would say the traditional church model for, for several years. And I really had to find my way back to the truth of what felt true for me. Mm. And, and it was really more, much more of a spiritual connection and nothing to do with religion. Like nothing. And I love that. Just didn't resonate. Yeah. And I think what people need to understand is that you can love Jesus and you can be super, super in tune with your divine connection, whatever that looks like for you. And it can have nothing to do with the religious paradigm that you were raised with mm-hmm. or that you see all this hate and racism and all the things that are happening in our country right now. It's shocking. These are coming from the, the religious people. Absolutely. I'm like that's not love. Right. There's nothing loving about what you're doing. And if I think if you really research like the true teachings of Jesus, and if you can just for a hot second, just, just outside the box for one second and get to the roots of the truth Mm. of the teachings of Jesus, they were about unconditional love and grace, Absolutely. unconditional love and grace. Right. And what has happened is over time, all these layers of dogma and, and in my, and frankly, it's control. It's just a way to control people mm-hmm. and keep them small. Um, that to me is the greatest gift you can give yourself is to redefine what your relationship with the divine looks like and feels like that doesn't necessarily have to be in the box of a religious paradigm. I so appreciate that. And I think that so much of everything that you've said, I'll go ahead and say repray and just add right into that because it really is, I think, identifying the various aspects of the culture and separating the culture from the truth because they are not one in the same as much as those in leadership and authority would like us to believe that their way is the only way to be spiritual or you know, fill in the blank. Um, I think those of us who have gone through a bit of a, a deconstruction and possibly reconstruction, possibly not, it depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's so much more to be experienced in the willingness to have an existential crisis on purpose. <laughs> like, you know, really question what do you believe and why? Right. Not only about you know faith matters, but also yourself and you know how you show up in the world i think those are all incredibly crucial things to have that life of more fulfillment yeah absolutely and i think too if you know a lot of i think a lot of people um they're not exposed enough necessarily to the way others live in other parts of the world for example like you know traveling for me has been one of the greatest blessings of realizing that, you know, we all want the same things all over the world. We all want to feel loved. We all want to be seen. We all want to be known. We all want to feel connected and supported. And we all want a divine connection, whatever that looks like. Right. And I think that people, at least a large percentage of the population, 
maybe haven't had the opportunity to, to leave their surroundings or their immediate, you know, where they, where they grew up or where they're from. And, and they haven't been able to open their heart and their mind to see that other people love God just as much as they do. It just may look differently, mm-hmm. you know? And I think by opening up to the possibility that, wow, you know what? God's bigger than, than one religion. Mm. You know? there's, there's more than one way to get to communion with him. Right. And it's very small-minded. It's very, well, it's very close-minded for us to think that our way is the only way. That's the other thing that makes me crazy is I see people judging and they're, well, they're wrong or they're going to hell. I'm like, don't you think God figured out a way for all of us to get to him? He's right. a lot smarter than we think. <laughs> than we are. So right? True. And so to me, that's another way that, that we've created separation from each other. Uh-huh. And it's really sad to me that um, the thing that is supposed to bring you the most joy in your life, your connection to, to divine, is is also the, one of the most deci- divisive uh-huh. and, um, and painful things, you know? And that that's really unfortunate to me, that we can't see past the possibility that we are all the same, uh-huh. that we are all one, and we just look different, and that's all. Right. Absolutely. I think the idea of, you know, group theory as it plays out in the church, creating that us versus them, again, to your point of control, it all continues to elevate the leadership, elevate the authority and Mm -hmm. conform to this idea of you're safe here. If you follow all of our rules and you check all the boxes to get our approval, anything outside of this little box is dangerous. And these people are dangerous and they're evil and they don't have God in their hearts. And you can tell because this is how they behave or, you know, whatever the case might be. And that starts at such a young age when Mm -hmm. it comes to those of us who grew up in the church. So Mm -hmm. to be able to separate from that way of thinking that is so interwoven, that's quite the accomplishment. And I'm not saying that to pat either one of us on the back, but to say, when we're looking at the the constructs, we're looking at the culture, it's something to be incredibly aware of for what we're perpetuating. What what narrative do we continue to this day and age? Right. Well, I think too, it's, it's so fascinating, especially with what's happening right now with the abortion issue and all the things it's like, okay, so you, it's almost like taking one thing, one issue, like whether it be abortion, homosexuality, whatever, and, and honing in so much on that one thing that actually isn't even in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that it is taught today, that's not the way it was presented, right? But it, it serves the, the agenda or the ability to, to divide mm-hmm. and make others wrong. And I think any time that you go down a path of I'm right, you're wrong, that never leads to the highest and best for anyone, you know? Absolutely. And, and I think it also is so important for us to, to begin to ask questions. And like, like we talked about earlier, it's like, if, are you questioning? Are you questioning? Does it feel like truth? Right. Mm-hmm. And even just that simple exercise it now, if the listeners use that as a way to identify truth in their own body. Mm-hmm. Once you learn what truth feels like and you hear untruth, you'll never be the same because now you'll start to actually think, 
wow, that doesn't actually resonate. That doesn't actually feel like truth to me. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that was one of the greatest gifts. And now one of the best teachings that I share with my ladies and clients is that if you can identify truth and once you, it's almost like when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, mm-hmm. when you have the eyes to see the truth and the ears to hear the truth, things open up for you in a way that is extraordinary. And then you can't unsee and you can't unhear. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, when those leaders are spitting out this horrific, divisive, polarizing language, it's like, that's not true though. Those people are not bad people. These right. people love God too, just as much as you do. Why are you making them wrong? Why are you saying that? And if you can shift your, the way you think to think, I'm only available for truth. I'm only available for truth. And then the truth comes and that's when it gets really exciting. <laughs> and that's when they open up for me anyway. I agree wholeheartedly. And I feel like too, there's, there's something about that willingness to put ourselves in the position to, again, reinforce that trust and intuition and having a direct open line of communication with divine, again, to echo your wording, whatever that looks like for you. That's something I I think is just so crucial of having the collective experience and also protecting the individual experience at the same time. It doesn't have to be that one comes at the expense of the other, but the more that we can lean into our individual experiences with God, with divine, with source, with universe, however, you know, phraseology you you need to use or you want to use, and then be able to share that in a collective experience. For me, like that's just so exciting. And that's where, you get to find out that, you know, it's not just you. You're not the only person who has had the doubts or the questions or feels this kind of tension or, you know, dissonance within themselves. And you can find ways to mirror that back to each other and further deepen the individual relationship as well as the collective. And I think that's just amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I think helping each other realize that you know, I think the greatest disservice, one of the greatest disservices for me was, and I think for a lot of us that were raised in the church, it's like, you were born a sinner. Mm. You're, you're da, 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 da. I think that that is absolutely not true because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. We are made in the image of God. That's what the, that's what the Bible says, right? And I'm right. like, okay, go back to that truth. We are made in the image of God. We are drops of the divine. How can we not already be perfect? Mm-hmm. We are already enough. We were born that way. Mm-hmm. And so that whole issue of sinful nature and da 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 and we have to repent and we have to prove and we're not worthy, we're not worthy. That is the greatest detriment, I think, to society because then our whole lives are spent trying to be enough, mm-hmm. trying to deserve what we desire, trying to be worthy. And the truth is we were born that way. There is no other way. And I think if we can embody that truth, what a beautiful experience that we can have in this earth plane while we're here, you Mm -hmm. know? And it just, I think would solve so much um, self-worth and self-esteem issues and self-love. You know, people don't love themselves enough because they don't think that they deserve it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then they reflect that in all their relationships. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's not rocket science. 
feels like it, you know? I completely agree with you. And it's, it's so interesting because in some ways it's counterculture and in other ways it's absolutely foundational and it's, yeah. it's classic. I mean, it, it's that classic idea of when our own vessels are empty, what do we possibly have to give anyone else a value? And yet there's this system, this construct, the structure that elevates the idea of martyrdom above anything and everything else that burnout is the standard operating way of procedure rather than investing our time and our resources and our mental and emotional energy in caring for ourselves so that we have more to give everyone else. And, you know, you look at ministry burnout rates and they're unbelievable. You look at at the amount of families that have gone through divorce by way of ministry and it's just as bad, if not worse, than the average, you know, family in the pew or outside of the church. Right, exactly. Well, and we're not taught to care for ourselves. And if, and if we do, we, it, it's selfish, right? Yeah, I was going to say we're considered selfish if we practice right. self-care. And so you, now you have mothers that are just trying to keep it together. I mean, trying in whatever way they can. And, uh, you know, they're overextended. They're overwhelmed. There's no community support anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we don't care for each other anymore. Right. We don't take care of each other like like they used to, right? And so I think that there's a fundamental shift that has to happen into one of, first of all, self-love and realizing that you're already enough and allowing yourself to, to create levels of self-care that most women have never experienced their entire life. And it's not just like, a mani-pedi every four weeks, right? Or a bubble bath every now and then. I mean, like, exquisite self-care where you are consistently nourishing yourself in a way that is in the highest and best, asking for help and support when you need it, having boundaries, like you, we talked about earlier, having fierce boundaries. And one of the questions that I've been working with that might be of benefit to the listeners is that now I ask, whether it be a person, a place, a thing, or choice, it's what is the most loving decision I can make for myself today? Mm. What is the most loving choice right now? Whether it be what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to move, who I'm going to spend time with. You know, sometimes we have to have those hard conversations of like, I don't think I'm available to be your friend anymore. Mm. That's the most loving choice for me, right? So loving ourselves in a way, it's radical in that way because we don't do that. But when we do, it sets us up to create more, not only self-love, but also self-care. And then we're able to show up from a place of overflow, mm-hmm. not from a place of obligation and Absolutely. guilt. Absolutely. And like you mentioned earlier, when we can place the emphasis on ourselves to have that level of commitment to caring well for ourselves, we're doing so in such a way that's not just within our own sphere. We're also patterning that for other people to give permission to themselves to do it. And oftentimes what's in the highest and best for each of us as individuals then creates something that overflows again, not just from what we have to work with, but when you have two or three people that are already coming from that place of commitment to the highest and best individually, it impacts as impacts, excuse me, the collective as well. It's impossible for it not to. Right. Absolutely. And I think too, when we, 
when we show up in and we feel amazing, like, you know, one of the biblical principles is like living an abundant life. Okay. Well, what does that look like in reality? Cause most people aren't living that way. Mm. Right. So even though that's what we're taught and taught and taught, then we're not taught how to actually do it. Right. You know? So to me, it's, there has to be that foundation of the self-love and the self-care and then allowing yourself to step into the highest version of yourself, mm-hmm. the highest level of service, but from a place of ease and grace, not because you feel shame and guilt. I think it's all about, that is the fundamental shift, I think, from when you're in a religious paradigm to when you're in a, um, a spiritual or service-centered paradigm and soul-centered. That's what I talk about a lot, like becoming a soul-centered CEO. Like you are the boss of you, you and your soul, you and your divine connection. Those are the things that you lead from. When you lead from that place, first of all, you can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. And you can't burn out because you're coming from a divine source. Right. Versus, oh, I've got to make 47 batches of cookies and I've got to go do the PTA thing. I've got to go, 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 go. It's, I think this way of living is more about, more about being, less about doing. Mm-hmm. More about feeling, less about thinking. It's like, what flows through with ease versus what am I doing because I, I feel like I'm supposed to. Right. Yeah. What am I striving for? Yeah. I don't think we need to strive anymore. Mm. Which that in and of itself feels so good. Just the idea of what would life look like to release the striving? Yeah. Without that. I mean, I just think it's so, so much more spacious and so much more loving. And I, I would also, the word forgiveness just came to my mind. So I want to say that I think a lot of women struggle with, um, with feeling like they haven't measured up, mm. right? And it's about this that, that same paradigm of like, I've got to be the perfect mo- mom. I've got to be the perfect wife. I've got to cook the perfect dinner. I have to clean the perfect house and have perfect sex with my husband anytime he wants to have sex. Like those are the, that, that's like the yeah, standard. That's, that's pretty much the way that you were right? guaranteed happiness as a Christian woman. Exactly. So, and get everyone to church on time, looking cute. I was just going to say, looking cute. (laughs) No tears, right? Um, So I think, and when we, when we haven't met that expectation and we, we feel like we fall short, Mm. there is a lot of guilt and judgment that comes to women when they, when they haven't measured up Mm -hmm. to that standard. And I just would like to say that that's a ridiculous and non-attainable situation anyway. Like someone's going to cry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? Whatever. But I think letting yourself off the hook and forgiving yourself for whatever has happened before, whatever, doesn't matter. You're doing the best you could. Mm-hmm. All, we all do the best we can in the moment that we're given the choice, right? Like that, that's human nature. You do the best you can in that moment. And so I think by giving yourself grace and yourself more compassion and forgiving yourself, if you can start there, it opens up a whole world of, of seeing others differently. Because normally what we do is I'm judging Betty Sue for X, Y, and Z, but it's because I feel, I feel something. I feel inadequate. I feel insecure. So I'm going to project that. That is a, beautiful transition when you get out of that Mm -hmm. 
when you get out of that cycle and you're not doing that anymore because you've forgiven yourself. So it's much easier to forgive others when you've forgiven yourself. And I mean like deep, like the real kind. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Like not just the say the words and journal about it. I mean like for real, like release it, let it go, you know? So I don't know, that just felt important to say. No, I completely agree. I think that's, it's such an important piece of the process to becoming the best version of ourselves and to understand that there's multiple layers at work here. So it's not just that we get to say, okay, today I officially forgive myself and I give myself permission to become the best version of me. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. I mean, that's a start, that's a step. But it's not like a, you know, once and done type of a thing. And I think that really, you know, kind of plays into the human experience of it, of being able to show up day in and day out. And sometimes we're able to express the love and care for ourselves that we need. And sometimes we're not, and we're going to fall back into the old programming. But to be able to have a faster recognition of when the programming is at play, stopping it in its tracks, reprogramming ourselves, choosing differently. And then again, of course, how that kind of experience flows out to other people. So it's, it's a constant process. And I have to say, me being the perfectionist and control freak, I was really rather disappointed when I came to that realization because I wanted my gold star, damn it. And I wanted to say that I was done and I had, you know, arrived and nothing could have been further from the truth. And now looking back, of course, I'm like, yeah, I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, But that was the start of the self-discovery that I needed to go into in order to set the foundation and really correct the foundation in a lot of ways. Right. Well, and like you said, it's, it's where you just have to begin again. Mm-hmm. You just can't, you have to, I call it mental masturbation where you'd like, I should have done this and, and you just have this like rat's nest going on in your brain. Mm. You can just pause and just say, you know what? Things happen for me, not to me. I'm thankful that I had to go through that experience. I've learned the lesson. And now next time I'm going to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Next time I'm going to show up differently. And I think that's where some of these practices that, that I've learned over time have really been handy because they allow, um, they allow space between like mm-hmm. the response or a reaction. So I would rather, instead of reacting quickly to something and then regretting what I've said later or whatever happened, I just, I'm able now to take the time to create space and then respond, right? And I think the more we, um, the more we create space in our life, the less overwhelm, the, the less crazy, crazy, crazy doing, the more being, less doing, again, back to that, mm-hmm. we're able to start to create more space to where we can show up in a more loving way. We can respond in the, in a, in the way that we, when we think about, well, what would Jesus do? Remember that, the, all of that, it's like, if you're still wanting to embody the teachings, the true teachings of Jesus is, is showing up in an unconditionally loving way mm-hmm. and it's not always available, but the more you practice again, the more you're able to just pause and think, what's the most loving thing I can say right now? Just like the question, what's the most loving thing I could do for myself? What would be the most loving response to this? 
And that'll change every human interaction and relationship we have on the planet. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about that even as it relates, whether it's marriage or parenting, you know, when you get into those moments of conflict, choosing the loving response over the one that validates your rightness in perspective or the situation or, you know, validates your uh, right to be hurt or to be wronged or to be the victor in the argument, choosing the loving response Right. really diffuses so much of the situation at hand and it allows the space to come at it from a new angle and to create an opportunity for healing instead right. of just continuing to escalate and escalate. More pain, yeah. And you know, it's interesting that the whole time I was, what I was would consider in, in the paradigm uh, that I was raised with, I was also still very much in, with, in my ego, right? Like, um, it was still also about achievement and all of these things. And it wasn't until I kind of deconstructed a lot of that, that I was able to do like drop from my head down to my heart mm. was the first step. And then lead and lead and love from my heart space, not what I, what, but you should have done this and da, 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 right. Um, and then the next level to me was then dropping into this soul mm. place. And that's where, like I said, you, you're able to respond in a, in a way that is probably not of you, not from your mind or your ego. It's almost like your higher self. Right. It's like you can find the, the higher truth, the, the divine part of you. This is a fun game, you know, like it's a fun game because when you can call upon your higher, higher heart and your high, higher self, and then whatever you say from that place, that's the good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the beingness and the embodiment of your Christ consciousness, the, the divine within you. And when you speak from there, you diffuse, you can't help but diffuse everything because your words are like, they're beautiful and they're a blessing. And they, we all can do that. We all have that mm-hmm. when we allow ourselves to, to step into the consciousness of Christ. That's a whole nother probably conversation. (laughs) I I love that. I love that you went there. I have found that even in the moments when it's just me in terms of the conversation, say there's a conflict or there's a, a problem I need a solution for or whatever the case might be, when I can get to that space and have conversations with someone else's higher being, of just kind of in this other plane. And I know this sounds really woo-woo. So for those of you who think I've just gone off the deep end, bear with me for half a second here, because it's, it's more about putting myself in a position to align with an outcome that I can't see from this current perspective. So to be able to say, you know what, I don't have the plan here. I'm not so attached to an outcome that I need to force it but I'm calling on your highest self to meet my highest self and come up with a solution that fits for all of us and brings all of us what we need. And then I can get out of the way for that to come to a resolution. That was a huge experience for me, you know, both, I can think of so many different times where that has come in, but especially when it came to co-parenting with my kid's dad and stepmom, when you know, we're going through this transition of trying to figure out what that looks like. 
I would definitely say behind the scenes internally, just for myself and allowing that kind of perspective to change, that tool was incredibly helpful for me to see past the hurt and, you know, the, the things that would keep us muddied in our egos instead of what is in the best interest for our kids, for our highest purpose for ourselves as individuals, you know, really all of it comes into play at that point. Yeah. And that is such a beautiful way to communicate. And if you think about it, I mean, yeah, we're in this 3D body, but we've got all these other realms that we're in as well. And so being able to like telepathy, you hear people like talk about all these other ways to communicate. There's so many other ways, right? And I totally agree that that higher self to higher self is one of the most beautiful ways, you know? And if you are in conflict or you need to ask forgiveness mm. or completion, but you can't actually have a, a conversation for whatever reason, right? That's also a really beautiful tool to utilize and just ask the higher self, please forgive me, this, that, and the other, right? Mm -hmm. And then also releasing and letting go because when we get, we're energetically connected to people too, right? right? And so we can cut cords, release, and let them go and, and we can do that on that level as well. So that's, that gets super exciting and I think as more of us kind of go into this 4D, 5D reality, right, dimensions, uh, as we are in this ascension process, I think more and more people will start working with that. Mm. I call it spiritual technologies, you know, those different mystical teachings that allow us to really create a beautiful connection, create more healing, create more um, understanding, you know, and it's so lovely. I just, I think it's fantastic. I completely agree. And I love the fact that so much of this there's so much that is consistent across so many different ways of thinking or believing spiritually that it doesn't have to be trapped into one religion or one way of showing up in the world. And the, the irony <laughs> that so much of what we were taught against, you know, kind of using air quotes here, yeah. the idea that there's, there's such a compare and contrast about the power that is available to each of us to be fully aligned, fully operating from love, fully operating from the divine. And again, the impact that has collectively versus you have to fit the mold, you have to shrink down, you have to follow the rules. Yep. It, is, it just it continues to blow my mind. I'm so grateful to be in this conversation for that exact, you know, reason that alone, much less all the other ooey gooey, warm, fuzzy stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think what, what we also have to understand is that, um, you know, Jesus said, you will come and do greater works than I, like you will do more than I even did. Right. That's, that's what's available and possible for us. Mm. And if you think about it, who would want to limit our ability to perform magic and miracles? perhaps someone who's benefiting from that limitation. Exactly. So if you, if you really start to critically think about why we've been taught all of these access, all of these things are, are woo and they're the, of the devil and all this stuff. It's like, because that's controlling your ability to create more of what Jesus brought, which was, I mean, he shook it up, right? Like he was like change maker, thought leader, right? a miracle maker like we can do all of that too though mm -hmm. if we allow ourselves to step into the fullness of our power power right. in a loving way right mm -hmm. 
and what, what I think has happened is that the church has become such a controlling, manipulative power, in, and they're using that power and not in a, in a way that it was ever designed to be. It was never designed to be that. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I was going to say, you know, it's funny because when you when you ask the question of, uh, you know, who who benefits from this, you know, is kind of what I, I took out of that. Uh, my initial impression that I wanted to immediately answer was, well, clearly Satan does because he's against God's anointed. And thankfully, I've spent enough time in the deconstruction process that I knew before the thought even actually fully registered. I was like, no, that would be a lie. (laughs) That's not the right answer. But it's amazing how quickly that was still right there that I wanted to blame some other spiritual force instead of the, you know, mankind element that has benefited from generations and generations worth of control. Yeah, because what happens is when you you keep people small, you can control them so much better, so Mm -hmm. much more effectively. If you, it's like this whole thing, I don't know if we want to go here, but like, it's this whole thing about this abortion situation that's happening right now that is, it's really disheartening because at the roots of the truth of it, it's not about the sanctity of life. I don't think this has anything to do with it. I think it's all about controlling the sexual freedom of women. Mm -hmm. And it has been for millennium, right? And so when we allow ourselves to be told what to do, I mean, all week long last week, I was just like, you're not the boss of me. Like, I just wanted to frame it, right? And I'm not saying that we should be for abortion. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, who gives you the right to legislate the, my, my, the choice for my body? Right. For my family? It comes down to a control issue, control. not anything else. It's not anything just else. about the control. And my friend and I, who also is part of this recovering group of, of church girls, um, we had a long conversation last night, and we were saying if, it's, if it was really about the sanctity of life and the issue of, of killing babies, right? then why isn't there an issue with fertility clinics that are eliminating embryos all the time? Like Mm -hmm. if that conception creates a human, then the sperm meets the egg. Those are embryos. Those are babies. Those are humans, right? Under this model of thinking, why are there, why are they not taking issue with that? Mm -hmm. It's not that it's when those, when it's in the woman, it's Mm -hmm. all about controlling the women and I just find it so discouraging that that's the life that that's the conversation we're having in 2019. Could not agree with you more. It's just it's crazy, and I I find it so fascinating that it is such a polarizing issue. But I think this is also about creating separation, mm-hmm. creating more separation. Like, well, you're you want to kill the babies, so. I think you're wrong and I'm going to judge you and you're going to go to hell and do all the things. Right. Could find a way to create a world that doesn't need abortion. Right. Mm -hmm. What if, what if we lived in a world where women had free access to healthy and available contraception? What if we lived in a world where all women were supported by their loving partners? They could choose when they wanted to have babies. And then there were social services. Like, you know, they would help them be raised if they needed support in that way. Like that would be a perfect ideal world, but that's not the world that we live in. Right. 
And that doesn't even touch on the idea of holding men responsible for the roles in which they play, because it's impossible for a baby exactly. to exist without a man involved in the sense of what we're talking around, around the abortion laws that are, are exactly. so hot right now. Exactly. There is no, there's nothing that even speaks to that. And I, here's what I think I'm struggling with the most is that there are so many conservative women, Christian women that are supporting this. Mm-hmm. And I really, that like breaks my heart because I just think, how can you do that to our, to our sisters, right? We're all sisters here. We're all women. And I think the sad part of it is it's going to affect primarily low income women that don't have access, that can't fly to another state or go do whatever they need to do to take care of themselves and also cannot raise a child mm-hmm. that they're forced to have. So it's just a very fascinating and unfortunate place that we find ourselves. But conversations like this, opening minds, opening hearts, realizing that that's not what Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what, that would never be his intention, right? right? So even if we go back to that truth and if we stand on that, what would he do? He would help those women. He would support them. He would feed the hungry, mm-hmm. take care of the poor, like, if they go back to the roots of what they're even taught, that's what they'd be doing right now instead of this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, yeah, and hopefully it's it's conversations like these and so many others that I've seen take place, those that can navigate it in an open-hearted way and yeah. create space for people to consider something different rather than fall to the rhetoric and fall to the name and blame game. Right. Um, and again, just that, that idea of the broad categorizations that say, well, if you believe this, then you must be that, you know, to be able to separate, we can find the place for the and, we can find the place to, right, exactly, and so to come from that space, honestly, there are times over the last couple of weeks where that has been my only solace in that, and I've been very quiet, you know, on a, on a social front, because I haven't had the bandwidth emotionally to, to find the place of and for myself. It has felt so extreme, but even this conversation already has been incredibly helpful. And, you know, also with the younger generation talking about this with my daughter and, you know, here she is at 16 and far more educated and informed and grounded than I was at 16, but to be able to say, you know, Hey mom, let's talk about this from this perspective or that perspective and that she's willing to engage. It gives me a hope for, you know, what we have ahead of us as a nation. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of work to do a lot, but I do feel like, um, the only way to move forward is to find that space between find the common ground, find the what is going to be the way that we start to rebuild the tapestry of our, of our country. Right. Cause right now it's like, we're shredded, frankly, right. Shredded. People are exhausted. And, um, and it is going to take a lot of open heartedness, a lot of open mindedness, a lot of grace and a lot of, a lot of love. Right. And trying to find where you where we have commonalities and where we can begin to, to build again, that utopia of life where we wouldn't need abortions. Right. Right. I mean, that's never, never would a woman intentionally want 
to go through that. Like, and I think that's what, you know, is happening. That's un- so unfortunate. It's like, do you really think mm. that that's just like, they're going to skip right down to the clinic? Like that's just, what a, what a horrible experience to have to go through and make that choice. Exactly. That, is, mm-hmm. that is probably the most, the hardest choice a woman could ever make in her entire life. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And to, to not be able to support what is in the highest and best for that particular woman, I just, uh, I just don't understand it. But one day at a time, right? One conversation one at a time. One day at a time. <laughs> it's so true. Well, and speaking of one conversation at a time, thank you so much, Haley, for being fully present and bringing all of yourself to us and to this conversation right here and right now. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, I am honored to have you. And for everyone who's listening, weigh in, let us know what your your thoughts are and where you can find yourself in these snippets of conversation as well. Haley, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys soon. 